you think about the word knowledge, knowledge is something that's truly powerful, isn't it? Knowledge is what allows you and I to make decisions in this life. It's what allows us to choose to live the way that we do, to make the choices and decisions that we decide to make. Sometimes I suppose maybe there's situations in life for us that maybe we have made a decision or a choice without the knowledge that we need to, to possess. And certainly that can more often than not put us in a difficult situation. When we think about knowledge, knowledge is something that everybody needs to have. Maybe you're thinking, well, knowledge about what? Well, as it comes to you and I as Christians, I think that there are 10, ten things that every single person should know. Regardless of where you are in this life, Christian or non-Christian, religious, non-religious, I think every single one of these things is very applicable to each one of us. Ten things that every single person should know. We'll go through these very quickly and the lesson will be yours uh, this afternoon. You're probably thinking, this was supposed to be a shortened worship service. How in the world were you going to get ten things done in 30 minutes? I don't know. We were going to wing it and see what happened. But <laughs> uh, I guess thankfully maybe for me, I don't have to quite do that. But I'll still try to get you out of here uh, in, in a timely, timely fashion. Here's the first thing, though, I think that every single person should know. Number one, the Bible is your authority. When it comes to things that every single person should know, we have to understand first before anything else that the Bible is our authority. You know, when it comes to what the way that we live our lives, why do we live them the way that we do? Why do we make the choices that we make? Why do we make the decisions that we decide to make in our lives? Well, because there's a standard, isn't there? There's a bar that has been set. There is a perhaps a code of morals maybe that we have come to understand and that we live by and that we understand if we don't live up to that standard of authority, we understand that there are going to be consequences. The same thing can be said about us in the laws of our land, right? There's a speed limit that's been set on the road. And if you exceed that speed limit, there's going to be consequences. Well, the same thing is for us as Christians in a spiritual, uh, in a spiritual aspect. If we don't adhere to the authority that's over us, then there are going to be consequences. So maybe we should be asking the question, what is our authority? Well, perhaps maybe we should be saying, who is our authority? You remember that passage that we talked about last week, talking about the Great Commission, where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, they're beginning in verse 18, he came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When we're talking about Jesus Christ as a part of the eternal Godhead, Jesus Christ, the all power, part of the all powerful, the all sovereign Godhead is our authority. He is our standard. He is our bar up to which we must live. There is an authority that he has that has been set over us. And you and I as individuals who have been created by him, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, we have to live up to that authority. We have to willingly submit to him. When we think about Jesus as our authority, we understand that he is expressed. That authority to us. Joey talked about this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul speaking to the young preacher Timothy there in verse 16, where Paul told Timothy that all scripture is God breathed, that is given by inspiration. It has literally come from the mind and from the mouth of God, and it is there for us for our benefit. You get into verse 17, and it talks about how, um, how, talk, talking there about how it makes us perfect, how it makes us complete, how it equips us for everything that you and I need to accomplish in this life if we would just simply submit to his authority. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about God's perfect word being our authority and understanding that we are to live by it because one day we're going to be judged by it. John chapter 12 and verse 48. Here's the second thing that I think every single person needs to understand, needs to know that God created you. God created you. It's truly quite simple if you think about it, isn't it? 
The reason, the, the first thing that every single person should know that the Bible is our authority, is our standard, is because it allows everybody to go to the same place to find their source of information, to find their answers for the questions that they might have in this life. And so we do that as it pertains to this idea of creation and specifically God creating each one of us. When we read in Genesis chapter 1, we're talking about creation here. We know that we can take this truth. We've been over this quarter, the very beginning of the quarter that we just came out of, talking about our survey of the Old Testament. What were some of the things that we ran over at the very, very beginning? The days of creation, right? And we, we for the for the younger kids that they sang the song and that, that talked about uh, God creating the heavens and the earth and the moon and the sun and the stars and the plants and the animals, etc. But we even it even continues on as you get into verse twenty six of Genesis chapter one. Well, the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all of the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps onto the earth. How much more clear does it need to be? This earth, including you and I, everything here, was not created by some big bang, was it? It wasn't created just by some chance or even over millions of years, but rather God created this world in six 24-hour days as a standard for you and I. And it was on day six that he created mankind. If you thought about how special you and I are as God's creation, the fact that we are the very pinnacle of God's creation, the fact that we are created in the image of God and nothing that has, that has ever been created by God is able to make that statement. The plants can't say that. The animals can't say that. Even the earth itself can't say that. But you and I, as mankind, as God's creation, can say that we have been created in the image of God. You and I are valuable. We are precious. We are costly. We are irreplaceable simply because God is our creator. And yet within God being our creator, I suppose it gives us a little bit of a sense of how lowly and how small you and I are in comparison to God. In Psalm chapter 8, it talks about the power, the, the, the magnificence of God and what He has done for us in His creation. Beginning in verse 1, David said this, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth, who have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, You have ordained strength because of Your enemies, that You may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider Your heavens, the work of Your fingers, the moon and the stars which You have ordained, what is man that You are mindful of him, and the son of man that You visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the bird, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. As our creator, God alone deserves glory. Deserves honor, deserves praise simply because he being greater and more powerful than we are, created us and have allowed us to have an opportunity to live here on his earth. Here's number three that I think every single person needs to know is the fact that God loves you. God loves you. I know it's so basic to say this, but and when we think about it, I suppose it's so easy, isn't it, in our world nowadays to say I love you to someone, isn't it? In fact, I think we say it maybe a little bit too easily because the word love in our world and in our culture, I think, is used so flippantly so many times to the point to where perhaps it's been somewhat degraded in its meaning. Maybe it's lost 
some of its meaning. And I know we all talk like this, and there's nothing, I guess, inherently wrong with it. We talk about our love for a favorite sports team. We talk about our love for a favorite kind of food, or maybe a favorite vacation spot of ours, how we love to get away and to go to places like that. And yet, we also use the same word that describes the way that we feel towards those things as a way that we use to describe how we feel towards God. And yet we know that when we read in Scripture, when it talks about God expressing His love towards us, we understand His agape love, His unconditional love, is a love that is so unconditional in the sense of it doesn't matter what we have done, God's love is always going to be there. That despite the sins that His creation has committed, despite the backs that have been constantly turned upon Him time and time and time again, despite the rebellion, the disobedience, the disrespect, that is so often shown towards Him, God still loves us. It's truly amazing when we try to comprehend it, isn't it? To try to understand the the ability to love the way that God loves each of us. It was John who said in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does does not know God, for God is love. God is literally described as being Agape, this unconditional love for you and for me. That regardless of what we have done, regardless of where we have been, regardless of the things that we maybe have done that have transgressed His law, God's love for us is still there. It should give us confidence in knowing that no matter how far you and I might fall away, no matter how dark our lives may look or no matter how dark they may be, God's love is still there for us. God will always love His creation. Here's number four. Jesus Christ died for you. And I suppose this ties right into what we have just talked about, talking about God's love for His creation. You know, ever since Genesis chapter 3, our world has faced a colossal problem, hasn't it? Faced a massive problem, that problem being sin. The idea of someone transgressing or going against the authority or the law that God has set in place. And it's because of our sins, and it's because of God's love for His sinful creation, that there had to be a sacrifice. That there had to be something that was put to death in order for all of those sins committed by you and me are able to be forgiven. We know that that sacrifice is the blood and the life of Jesus Christ. Talking about the very Son of God, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 10, by that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You know, there used to have to be under the old law this idea of continual sacrifices. That had to be made year after year after year just in order for people to be in a good standing with their Creator. And yet because of Jesus Christ, because of His sinless and His perfect nature, and because of His willingness to come to this earth and to give His life for us, there no longer remains that need. And I suppose, from our perspective, it's hard to imagine that, isn't it? When we try to put ourselves in the shoes of God, I'm not at all by in any means trying to take away from the deity of God or perhaps even comparing ourselves to God, but I tried to see it from His perspective and what God had to give up in order for you and I to be in the position that we are in today. Allow yourself to step in His shoes for a moment. Talking about God being the all-powerful, all-sovereign Creator, fashioning us, forming us into His image, perfectly done, 
giving us free will to live and to breathe as we see fit, and hoping that you and I would glorify him and worship him in all that we do. And yet time and time again, we disappointed him. We committed sin. We cut off a chance at a relationship with him, Isaiah 59 and verse 2. And so there was a need for a perfect sacrifice. And so God sending his perfect son, Jesus Christ, into this world, allowing him to be that sacrifice for a creation, for a lack of a better term, slapping him in the face with their blatant disrespect. It was Paul who said in Romans chapter 5, and doing reference this as well this morning, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. It doesn't make any sense, does it, God? It doesn't make any sense what you just did. The fact that you would send a perfect man to die for your imperfect creation, it's hard to imagine dying for someone uh, who, who perhaps deserves to live. And yet, I suppose it's unimaginable for someone to die for someone who doesn't deserve to live. And yet in verse 8, Paul continued his thought, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Jesus died for you. Regardless of your race, regardless of your background, regardless of what you have done or committed in your life, that's how special you truly are. Jesus died for you. Here's number five. Heaven and hell are very, very real. I suppose that within the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we understand that looking at his sacrifice, it was necessary to happen. It was what we would call a necessity. In other words, if Jesus hadn't gone to the cross, something bad and something terrible and horrible would have taken place. We know that it is his sacrifice. That is what saves us from our sins. And it is our submission to him and our faithful obedience that Joey talked about this morning is what grants us access to that salvation. But the question remains is this salvation from what? What is it that we are being saved from? Obviously, we're being saved from our sins. And we know that if our sins, should they go unforgiven in this life, will land us in a place that none of us ever would want to go. We know in Scripture that we are told that there are two destinations for people that God has created. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus describes for us in terms that you and I can understand and relate to what exactly that's going to look like. The fact that there's going to be a day, a day of judgment, one where every single person will be present. It's, it's a day where everyone's going to be judged according to the things that they have done in, in their bodies, whether good or bad, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And in Matthew chapter 25, we are essentially given two options uh, that, that are presented. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Verse 33, and He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats... On the left. You see, those who have been faithful to God, those who have submitted to God's will, those who have been faithful in obedience to the will of God, talking about the sheep, they're going to be parted among those who were granted access to heaven. But you flip that coin. Those who are what we, what we see here are, are the goats. Those who are unfaithful to God. Those who have not lived their lives in accordance with His will. Those who are not submitting to Him. God grants them access to a place called hell. That fact alone that shows us that we can have an opportunity to go to heaven. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, a place described for us as a place where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, where there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, 
or the former things have passed away, or again, you can flip that coin, a place that we have described for us in Revelation 20, beginning of verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Brothers and sisters, this description of one of these two places being our destination ought to push us to live our lives in a way that God would have us to live. Here's number six. Talking about heaven and hell, understanding they're very real, we have to understand the fact that hell was not created for us. I suppose that this is a concept that the majority of people in our world don't really understand, do they? They don't really get it, do they? Because what people in our world generally see is they see an all-loving God, an all-powerful God, an all-sovereign God, one who has control of all things, a supreme being. And what do they think? They think, well, in our minds, it doesn't make sense. How in the world could a God who, who, who is, who is all-loving and all-powerful even create this horrible hell and then send people to it? Well, see, what people don't understand is that it's not really up to God as to who spends their eternity in hell, is it? You and I are not predestined individuals who, who can't choose whether or not we want to go to heaven or hell. Why else would God say in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4 that He desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth? The choice is ultimately up to us as free moral agents who have the ability to make choices and decisions that are either in line with the Word of God or not. Here's something that we have to understand. We were not created for hell, and hell was not created for us. You and I as God's creation, as free moral agents, as precious souls with immense value and design, hell's not our home. Going back to Matthew chapter 25, the beginning of verse 41, the Bible says that he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared, notice this, for the devil and his angels. You see, those on the left hand, those who are not living how God would have prescribed for them to live, they're going to depart to this place of everlasting punishment. But notice who it was designed and created for in the first place, the devil and his angels. Not for mankind, not for people who were created in his image and in his likeness, and yet it's a place where we will end up if we don't live our lives that are full of faithful submission and service to Jesus Christ. Here's number seven. You have an enemy. I suppose that this is the best time I've made to segue into this uh, because this goes hand in hand with the fact that hell wasn't created for us. You know, there's someone out there. There's a being that is out there that doesn't love you. There's a being that is out there that, that does not want what is best for you. There's a being that's out there that wants you to suffer. He wants you to fail. He wants you to be miserable in this life and in the next. And he's described for us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 as our adversary, the devil, who walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When it comes to talking about the devil, he is constantly on the prowl. He is preying on us as Christians. He is looking for any and every single way that he could get his foot into the door of our lives, into the doors of our homes, into the doors of the Lord's church. And if we're not careful, we let him in time and time again. You know, if you go back to the very beginning of time, he's described for us in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 as a serpent who was more cunning than any beast of the field. And from that moment forward, he has wreaked havoc on our world day in and day out. And yet something that you and I have to understand as it comes to our enemy, the devil, that he only has as much power as he is given. When I think about Job, I understand Job was a man who was, we might say he was put through the ringer, wasn't 
Job, Job was someone where Satan took his family. Satan took his children, his livestock, his health, everything that meant something to Job. His enemy took it. And yet when we read back in Job chapter 1 and in Job chapter 2, every single time that Satan did something to Job, it was only because of why? Because he had been given permission to do those things by God. It's like, it's like a child who almost has to go to his parent every single time he wants to do, th- do something and ask for permission. Can I do this? Can I do whatever it is? And the parent has to say yes or no. I think far too often in our minds, we give Satan more power than he actually has because he had to go to God in order to be able to do anything it was that he wanted to do. So with this in mind, we have to understand that we too have to give him permission to dictate our lives. Don't underestimate what he will do, but don't overestimate the power that he has. Here's number eight. Remember this, that you have a family. I think one of the greatest blessings about being a Christian is the fact that you and I have been adopted into a family. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning of verse 4, Paul said this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. When it comes to the Lord's church, we aren't born into it, are we? But we don't get to just jump into it. In fact, it's something that you and I don't even deserve in this life. And yet through God's scheme of redemption, you and I have the opportunity to be granted adoption into the greatest family that you and I could ever be a part of. I was adopted at the age of six months. And so I understand uh, the blessing that adoption can have and what the role that it can play in the happiness of so many people in our world. And yet there is a family that is greater than anything else that we could ever have here in this life. That being the family of Almighty God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 talks about the Lord's church, how it is Christ who is head over that church, the church there being related to the body of Christ. And you see it happen in Acts chapter 2. Peter on the day of Pentecost teaching and preaching those who believed, they acted upon that belief. They were baptized into water for the remission of their sins. And whatever that happened there in verse 47, it tells us that God added to the church, to His church, to the body, those who were being saved. You see, He was adopting those who were outside of His family, bringing them into His family because they were obedient to his commands. That is one of the greatest blessings that you and I can ever experience while here on this earth. Here's number nine. You have a purpose. You have a purpose in this life. You know, I fear far too many times that too many people forget their worth as an individual. I think too many times we begin to focus on all of our failures. We begin to focus on all of our disappointments. We tend to forget the reason as to maybe why we're here on this earth in the first place. And sometimes we allow those things in the past define who we are today. And I get it. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it? Just to put the things that we've done in the past and to just leave them there and just forget about those things. But I also understand that we have to understand that there is something more to our lives than just what we've done in the past. You see, you and I have a great purpose, don't we? We have a great value. We have a great worth in this life. There are so many things that we can do and that we can accomplish for the good of Christ while we're here on this earth. While we're here on earth, we can glorify God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father 
who is in heaven. While here on this earth, we can serve those who are around us. It was Jesus who said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Within that same thought, Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 4, let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. While we're here on this earth, we can expand the borders of the kingdom. We have the Great Commission passages. We, we referenced those uh, last Sunday talking about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Mark 16, 15 to 16, etc. We have the Pauline letters such as 1 Corinthians and 2 Timothy and so on and so forth. All who place a great deal of emphasis on being evangelistically minded. While here on this earth, I have a purpose of leaving behind an example for others to follow. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, the Bible tells us, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus left behind for us a trail of footsteps in which we are supposed to walk and supposed to follow. Thus, we should want to leave the same footsteps for the people who are behind us. Paul said we are to imitate him. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Paul told Timothy to be an example to the believers. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul said to be a pattern of good works. Titus chapter 2, at verse 7. You and I must exemplify our faith in Christ through the way that we live our lives. Why? Because of number 10. Because you have an eternal hope. That's the reason why you and I live the way that we live on this earth, isn't it? Because there is an eternal home that has been created for us. And that should you and I live faithful lives here on this earth, one day that home will be ours. When I think about the word home, there's a lot of descriptive words that come to mind. Think about the word security, safety, comfort, peace, hope. A lot of other words come to my mind. All of these things being blessings that you and I are able to gain simply while being residents inside of a home. A child feels safe inside of his or her home because he knows or she knows while they are there, it's where they are protected. It is where that they are going to be provided for. The child also knows that when they are outside of that home, they are deprived of those things that they wish to have. You know, when I think about the Christian, he or she has access to all of those heavenly blessings, right? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. But it's only while you and I are in Christ, we talked about earlier, that's the same thing as the body, talking about the Lord's church, into which we are adopted when we obey the gospel. And yet while we think about that home, we think about that family while we're here, that's all earthly, isn't it? So what else is there? Is there something greater, something better than that? You know, you and I know as faithful Christians, there's a heavenly home, an eternal home that awaits. Jesus said in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, that not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you may know, and the way you know. You see, brothers and sisters, there is an eternal, a, a never-ending home for the faithful child of God, one who has dedicated their lives to God, one who has submitted their, themselves to his will, someone who has exemplified their faith in every facet of their lives. They are the ones who will hear the words of Jesus saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Ten things that every single person should know. I know we went through them quickly, but ten things that I think are extremely important for us to remember. Things that are extremely important for us to understand because they are things that will help shape our lives should we adhere to them that will help us be able to have that eternal home 
as our as our as our hope, as our heavenly goal, that one day we can have that and we can hear those words from Jesus Himself. Well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe you're here this afternoon, and perhaps you're not yet a child of God. Maybe heaven is not your home, but you want it to be. Know that you can fix that, you can change that. Uh, you can come forward, repenting of your sins, confessing Christ's precious name, and we'll uh, baptize you in the water. That water will wash your sins away, give you a clean slate. You can go on your way rejoicing, knowing that heaven is going to be your home. Or maybe you're here to, uh, this afternoon, perhaps you are a Christian, but maybe your life uh, is, is in shambles. Maybe it's not what it should be. Maybe there's sin in your life, and you need to turn things around. You need to go to God and ask Him for forgiveness. You want us to do that for you on your behalf. Know that you can come forward, repent of those things. We'll pray for you, and we'll do all that we can to help you and to encourage you as your family here at Roanoke. Maybe you're here. Perhaps you just need the encouragement of your brothers and sisters. One of the greatest blessings that we talked about a moment ago the fact that you and I have a family. We have brothers and sisters who are here on the same path as you as you are, who have the same father as you, the same creator as you, but who are also battling the same enemy as you, who are growing up through, through ups and downs, having to go through hurdles just as you do, but understanding that heaven is our goal and that we can get through whatever life throws at us together, relying upon God, understanding that he's our father and that he's going to take care of us. So if you have a need this afternoon, won't you come? Together we stand and as we sing. Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you would like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.